0: I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. And I want to read verses 1 and 2. I'm sure these passages of Scripture are very familiar to you. I have a very simple message this morning. I pray for simple things. I pray for things that anybody can understand. I don't want to reduce us to the level of a primary setting, but. Some of the most profound truths are the first ones you got because they were the ones that God gave you that you could receive that are able to change your lives. A lot of people, I think, have forgotten their beginnings, have forgotten those fundamental foundational truths that set them on a course that has taken them through life successfully. And occasionally, as Peter said, we need to go back and speak again of those things, not that you haven't heard them, but that you might be refreshed and encouraged again in the things that are so essential in living this Christian life and walking the way that God wants us to walk. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he begins this, verse 1 and 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out here. First of all, when we came to the Lord, when God brought us out of what he calls darkness, we were full of darkness. We were full of naturally full of malice and guile and hypocrisies and evil speaking. We were easily defeated. Easily twisted and distorted. We were difficult people, hard to get along with, especially with people we didn't like or weren't sure of. We were like that naturally. God brought us together with that package. And the only way we can escape that attitude, and if we don't escape, God will have to judge it because he's opposed to it, but he saved you knowing that's the way you are. And he says to us as Christians... He said, lay all of that aside. You recognize you have some of these weaknesses. Now, you must lay those things aside when you come to the Lord because you've been born again. Something stirring on the inside of you has never been there before. Something you may not necessarily explain is working on the inside of you, and you want it to thrive and flourish. You want this to work because it's so different. He said, well, you have to lay aside the stuff that is opposed to it that will drag you back if you don't. And as newborn babes, you must desire the sincere milk of the word because, secondly, God's design for us is to grow. God never saved us to populate a building, a room, or a system. God didn't save us because of our wonderful talents. God saved us because we were sinners who were lost and perishing. And if we weren't saved, we would die. He had a plan to save us for one reason, because he loved us. God so loved the world, specifically you in the world, that he did what he did in order that you might be saved. And now that corrupt individuals full of darkness like us have been brought to the Lord... He said, I want you to grow, but there's only one way specified for us to grow. There's only one source that is essential to Christian growth, and that's the Word of God. My favorite theme is the Word of God. But he said the Word must be desired, not just tolerated and admired for its poetic beauty and all of that, but the Word has to have some kind of an effect upon us. You have to be affected by the word, which will be the title of our message today, The Effect of a Pure Word. The way God intended for his word to be received is as a pure word. And the effect of that word is a changing of your life, and God will give you a reward for that. He'll bless you. Now, This word desire, he said, desire the sincere milk of the word. The word actually has the idea of craving, wanting it pretty badly. Not only wanting it with great intensity, but seeing your need for it. Having tasted the good word of God, Hebrews writes about, and savoring what that was like, you want more of it. And so you seek more of it. Just like in the Old Testament book of Malachi, the Bible says the priests who were the teachers, their lips should retain and hold fast knowledge, the words of life. And men, people, should seek that from his mouth. He's required to do that. That's part of his duty. And the people who recognize the worth of the word or the power of it, the effect of it on their lives that really have tasted of the good word of God, they desire more of it, and they seek the word at his mouth. A person who is hungry and desires a word doesn't have to be encouraged to be in attendance. They already know that's what they want in life, because they never had that in the other life. The Word didn't have anything to do with the other life. You Sunday school class, all the stuff you did had no effect upon you until God altered your insides. When you were born again, there was this new urge that you had, this urgency or urge to read the Word. I remember that in my own life. And as I began to find a Bible, the only Bible I could find was one old little vacation Bible school thing. So I went out and bought a new one because I had this desire. Never had it before. Never in my life. But I had a desire to read the Bible, to search or inquire. What does it say? What's in here? I've heard it bits and pieces of it all my life, the stories, but I don't know anything about its content. And so there was this urgent, leading this urgency to discover what's in this book. And then like we used to sing in vacation Bible school, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. These became the words of life because the more you latched on to them, the more it seemed like you were drawn nearer to God. I don't know of any other way to draw nearer to God than to draw near to him through his word. And God so honors his word that he watches over it to perform it. The psalmist said he honors his word even above his name. So it becomes a prize, a prize that is lost to the world and to most church members, but it becomes an essential prize to those that have tasted of it to see. So that's why we desire it. You notice he said in verse 2, he said, desire the sincere milk of the word. Now, I like to ask questions, so I say to you, and I'm sure you know, most of you would, what is meant? by the sincere milk of the word. What are we supposed to understand from that? Well, we have to break it down, the words, and see what the words mean. The Greek word for sincere is a word, and let me write it on the board, not that I'm some kind of a scholar, but I do know this, A-D-O-L-O-S. Now, I know that doesn't mean much to you, it's just a word. Adolos, adolos, And as most of you know, the A on a word, in many words, the A is a negative. So whatever dolos means, putting an A in front of it makes it mean the opposite. And the word dolos is our word for guile and deceit. Everything that's bad and ugly, everything that snares people and misleads people, and causes error and dismay and anguish and all the things that go with being led back into darkness, which is what dolos does. It's misleading, guile, and deceit. I think it's used in verse 1. All guiles, I think you'll find the word there in verse 1, laying aside all guile. And so you take this ugly word dolos, which is everything that makes anything wrong, spiritually, and you put an A in front of it, and it's a word which means pure, unadulterated, or as one Greek writer says, has nothing added to it. So we look at the word, we see the word, the word is presented to us that way. Desire the word with nothing added to it. A sincere word is a word as God gave it without anybody adding anything to it or taking anything away from it. It just comes as it is, plain and simple, the word of God. It contains whatever God says. The Bible says he sent his word forth in Isaiah 55. Didn't he say something like that? He said he sent his word forth. The word that goes out of his mouth has gone forth into the earth. The word that he spoke was a sincere and a pure word, because that's what the word unadulterated means. It's a pure word. It's not tainted with man's flavor or interpretations. It's not changed because somebody who read it once didn't get the good effect he's supposed to get, and therefore he alters the word and says, well, it may say that, but that's not what it means. It means exactly what it says. It comes to us in the way God wanted us to hear it. Now, God put teachers in the church because sometimes we need a little boost in our seeking and understanding of the word. There's nothing wrong with being taught. But this word sincere is a word which does three things. There are three things specifically that a sincere word does. One And Jeremiah said his word is like a hammer. Now, would you agree with me that a hammer is an instrument designed to attack something? To inflict force? I don't think a nail appreciates a hammer at all. I think the house appreciates the nail, but the house would never make it without the hammer. The hammer drives home the point. Are you there? So God says his word is like a hammer. But I have found in my experience, and we'll deal with this next week, that most people really don't like to be hammered with the word. They don't have in this age that you're in now, this generation, I'm not saying you're like that, but in this age of change, shifting and changing, people don't like any more things to be absolute. People like to have the option of letting it be what they want it to be, especially in Christianity. One of the biggest churches, maybe the biggest church in America, never talks about the sinfulness of man. It doesn't talk about... Sin because those, we have so much of that today, and there's so much of that, and so many oppressed, depressed people, they need something encouraging. Well, you can't encourage sinners. The Bible was never made for sinners to be encouraged with it. A natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit. God will let him hear the truth about being saved and the wonderful things that God has done for a sinner to be saved. But for a sinner to sit down and enjoy the word, something is wrong. Because God said his word is like a hammer. And God also said that his word in Jeremiah 23 is like a fire. It'll burn you up. Because there are these things he mentioned in 1 Peter 1 laying aside all these ugly traits, guiles and hypocrisies and all these ugly things in our life, is it not the function, one of the functions and the purposes of the word to confront that stuff? Are we not here today and the many, many times we've been here or somewhere that we've heard the word, have we not been affected by what we call conviction? Has not the Word made clear to us that something in our life is not right? Has not the Word ever in your life revealed sin in your life simply because you heard it? Of course it has. That's what it does. It's like a fire. It burns. It comes in there. It doesn't leave you alone if you're God's person, if you're His people. He never leaves you alone. Every time you hear the Word, it has a design when you hear it. It's designed to affect you, to get you to thinking about what you heard and the fact that you're not like that and that you need to make some adjustments. You need to grow. And you've got to make some decisions. But the Word is like a fire. It burns. And when you walk in the way that God has, it burns away the shaft. It purges and refines. We'll get to that later. But that's two things that the Word does. And then in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, didn't he talk about his word being like a two-edged sword? You remember that? He said, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of man. Does the word do that? So if we preach the word and we don't add anything to it, we don't take anything away from it, we just say what it says and insist that there is no other way. Are you with me? This is not popular. This is not what congregations get up, take showers and shave to come in here. But if we insist... And if you personally insist on, tell me what it says, don't compromise me. Don't back away from what it says because I failed last week. Don't try to hurt me either. But just tell me the truth. Preach the word only. Thank you. Preach the word only. Only. The devil that causes sickness, he's got about of that. Preach the Word only. Not your opinions. Not your ideas and slants or spin. But preach the Word. Don't take anything away from it. Don't compromise it. Don't subdue it. Say what it says. If it affects somebody... Adversely, because it's true, then there's something wrong in that adversely affected person. You say, well, you're not very loving kind. Or you're not. I think if we preach the Word because we have set ourselves to be in agreement with God on the basis of His Word, I think God says we're the ones that love Him in John 14. And when you say what the Bible says, though people say you're harsh... You're not very nice. Like a preacher told me once, not too terribly long ago, spoke in his church one night. He said, boy, they'll be glad to hear me after hearing that. You know, spoke on faith, hope, and love. Now, what is so hard about faith, hope, and love? Sure, you can make it hard. You don't have to make it hard. Just say what the Bible says. Just say what the Scripture says about it. And don't compromise it. Just say what the Bible says. What else is God going to use to change a life? What other way can you grow? If you don't have a pure word, there's no pure growth. If the word is slanted or tainted or it's watered down in some way so as to make people... Like it, enjoy it, or feel comfortable with it. It's no longer a hammer, a fire, or a two-edged sword. And yet I don't have to try to make it mean. I'm going to hammer you. I don't have to do, all I have to do is speak it. All I have to do is say what it says. All you have to do is receive it. And if you personally come to the place where I just want to hear what it says, I want to know the truth about this, then you will. If it's a pure word... It'll do what it said. What did he mean when he said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only? Is it possible to hear the word and then tune it out? Sure you can. Sure you can. You can hear the word and tune it out. You can convince yourself you don't need it. I've already got it. I've already heard that. I know that. I know that. I don't need that. And you can convince yourself that. But the Bible says, desire the sincere milk of the word. Desire that. Desire that so that you can grow. Because it will go from milk to meat. Things you have to chew on is in Hebrews 5. Now, What is this effect that the Word has on us? Let me give you several things that I found in Scripture that are evidence of the effect of what the Word of God, the sincere or a pure Word, does in those who receive it. Number one, it enables you to see. S-E-E. It enables you to see clearly what God is saying. Let me ask you a question. How can you see what somebody said? I mean, blind people say that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, he's not talking about physically seeing. He's talking about spiritual illumination, isn't he? The words you said, as God has translated those into my heart, has enlightened me so that I can now, well, see what you're saying. Our verse that I've used. I love to use it. It's in Ephesians 1 and verse 18 where he prayed for this. He said that the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Well, you know, your heart, your physical muscle in your chest doesn't have eyeballs. But the very core of a man's life, the Bible describes, is his heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he so There's a part of you that is called the heart, your being. And in this part about your heart is where you're ruled and what you're controlled by. This is how you see. If you can't see what God is saying, how can you go where God is leading? And if you don't know where God is leading you, how can you see your way? In fact, the only way you can really see as a Christian how to walk a right way is by the entrance of God's Word. The entrance of His words give light. Is there any other source for light than the Word? Jesus said, well, I'm the light of the world. Yes, and you can't even see what He is saying without this work of the Spirit illuminating that. Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, his disciples. He said, I'm not through talking to you, but if I say more now, you won't be able to receive it. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. And Jesus had already said, when you know the truth, which is the word, thy word is truth, he said in John 17. When you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And trust me with this, the effect of freedom is a taste in your mouth that you'll never forget that you want a dose of all the time. Freedom. Change. The bonds and the bands of all of those weaknesses of your other life begin to let go. And you begin to find a treasure in Christ. And this word becomes like food. Man doesn't live. By bread alone, he lives by this word, and and it becomes what you see and what you do. Put your finger there and turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and verse 8. Psalm 19 and verse 8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The commandment and the word of God are the same thing. That's his word to you. It is a way of direction. It is a statement of what is right. Commandments. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It goes back to what we said in Ephesians 1.18. That your eyes would be enlightened that you may know. The word know in Ephesians 1, the eyes of your heart being enlightened that you may know, the word for know is also translated to see. Remember the Apostle Thomas said about Jesus, hearing the report that he's alive, he said, except I see, I will not believe. So there is a knowing that is as much real to you as if you saw it. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what changes your life and makes us different. It's when God begins to illumine you. You begin to see. You don't sit in a church setting the rest of your life and say, I don't get it. That's just, I don't know. But you lose all of that. You escape that like a bird from the cage. And you begin to see what God is saying. And it's like a whole new world you begin to take a step in that direction and there is a blessing and a flow of something into your life that has never been before. You can see things and the seeing has the effect of of wonder, enjoyment, joy and peace. Wow, I see what you're seeing. It's good. The psalmist said in Psalm 36, In thy light, We see light. In thy light, we see more light. But we have to be in his light in order to see more light. Didn't Peter also write, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You should show forth the praises of God. The one who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Didn't he do that? God, who brought us out of a darkness, doesn't make us just see. He enables us to see. And seeing is up to you. If you want more, there will be more. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Ask, and so forth. It's up to you. And I found in all the years that I've stood here in this place, and the... Many, many years of travel, years that have gone by, that's where all the bags came from under my eyes. I found that very few people, as I look back and evaluate yesteryear, as I look back in my ministry at all the places and what fruit has been born back there, I don't see a lot. I don't know, because there's a lot of things that could happen you never know about. But I look back there, and I wonder how many people got it. How many people saw it? How many people went, wow. How many people had the effect of really being enlightened as to what God has laid before them and encouraged them to go after Look in Psalm 24 and verse 6. I am sure this is familiar to all of you. This is a generation of them that seek him and seek thy face. Now, let me say this. I mentioned about a generation a while ago. I believe in the midst of the end times, when, like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you can't see that, you're blind in the time when wickedness is ruling the earth and darkness is coming. In the midst of all of that, God has his people. He didn't take them out of the world. He left them in the world during that time that they should be lights into the world. And Here's what he says about those. I pray that that would be you and me. He describes them in the, the send to the hill of the Lord, verse 3 and 4. And then in verse 6, he said, This is a generation of them that seek thy face, O God of Jacob. This is a generation of them that seek thy face. Who are they? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. Those who ascend to the hill of the Lord, however long and far that is. These are the ones who do not lift up their soul unto uselessness. In foolishness, nor do they swear deceitfully. These are the ones who shall receive blessing from the Lord. They will be blessed in the midst of all of this consternation. Who are they? This is the generation that will seek the Lord. These are the ones. They act like that. They live like that. They talk like that. Blessed are the pure in heart for what? In the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when they see Him, they shall know Him. For He shall reveal Himself to them, and they shall be at peace with Him. I don't know what more we are looking for or want than that. In a world that can't tolerate itself and needs drugs and amusements And foolishness to exist. Where the wealthiest people in the world are dying and committing suicide and taking drugs to escape their torment. And God offers us the very opposite. He offers us peace and joy and contentment in the midst of all of that. All because the entrance of his word opened up ugly eyes. And they begin to see the potential, the latent, inherent possibilities that belong to them as Christians. And they begin to take those steps little by little. And begin to embrace truth just little by little. They taste and see and they get a little more. And they begin to feast upon the things of God. They sing louder now. They linger longer. There's a smile on their face. I don't mean you have to walk around like this all the time. People would think you're afflicted, but you have this peace in your heart. You know why? Because you know where you're going. I see what nobody else can see, but I see it. And while your friends say you're crazy or you're a cult or you're something else, you say, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded because as he has revealed himself to me, I see what he is saying. Second thing this pure word does to us is that it enables us to be purged and purified. When I speak of being purged and purified, Talking about being made acceptable unto fellowship. You know God accepts us the way we are. You know that. And don't you all shout me down because I might lose my place. But God has accepted us. He's accepted me and you. He's very tolerant or long-suffering towards us knows that what he saved needs to be transformed. And all he did initially was change the inside of these people, you and me. Didn't change the brain, didn't change the thinking, didn't change memories. He simply put a new life on the inside of you. And you sing the song, Something in my heart like a stream running free. Makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be. Well, that something on the inside is Christ, the indwelling Christ. He's in there, something new. And this work that we talked about earlier, as our eyes are open, we begin to see as the double-edged sword, the fire, and the hammer begin to do their work, I begin to see how unfellowshipable I am. And how many times I have rejected what God said. It didn't make sense to my mind. Couldn't figure that out. Well, I don't know anybody that does that, my mind says. Well, how could that be? And yet, the Bible said it. God said that lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Well, when's that ever happened? And my mind becomes my enemy. Until what? Until it's renewed. This renewing is a cleansing. It's a purging. Your mind is your enemy. It's what you use to think against God. Or it's what you use to embrace God. It's your mind. The Bible calls it your soul. Because that's where your mind, if you want to divide it up. That wonderful psalm that we all know is the Lord is my shepherd. And he leads me beside still waters. And he what? And he restores my soul. Is he restoring your soul? To restore means to bring you back to the place of perfection. When he made Adam, he was perfect. And through all the generations and so forth, all the corruption of the world has come in and tainted all of that and mixed it all up. And God saved you mixed up. And all he did was put a new life on the inside of you, something from heaven. The divine nature was popped right down here with an influence on your mind. God doesn't make you do right. He doesn't make you mind. He doesn't make you pray, read, or attend. This divine influence on the inside simply tells you why you should do all of that. You have a will and you're responsible with what you do with it in this life. It'll determine your judgment. You can be willing to agree with God and subdue this stuff of the past and thus be cleansed and changed. Or you can hold fast to your ways and say, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Or you can simply say, you know, I don't know about it either, but I know that God is right because I know that what he said in his word is true. I know that he doesn't watch over my view of the word to perform it. He only watches over his word to perform it. And if I want him on my side and be fellowshipable to God, then I have to let go of every nasty and ugly thing in me that's vile and hypocritical and full of guile and deceit. All of that stuff has to go. But I see in the Word, as He begins to speak to me, it comes to the surface like scum. He puts us in situations or trials. Or we have a bad day, but during that bad day, we call it, my ugly personality is exposed. I blew the horn three times, shook my fist twice, called somebody an ignoramus once. And then in the midst of all of that, God says, time out, freeze. He said, everything I've just taught you not to do, everything you amen last Sunday, you just broke it. Your mouth, your mind, everything your brain gave you to say, all those feelings and natural things you always did, they came to the surface in your mouth, just let her go. If you don't get rid of all of that stuff, God says, I will see to it that you get rid of it. That's another sermon. It's either change or I'll change you. What if God came up to you and he said, now, this is not right in your life. This part of your life is not right. And you know it and I know it now. I'm asking you to change. Because if you don't, I will change you. How many know the chasing of the Lord is at no time pleasant? Oh boy, being chasing <laughs> Oh boy, this is no. Chasing is not pleasant. It's not enjoyable. The only reason God does is because you're slow. You're dragging your feet. And He's going to judge you if He doesn't change you. He's going to judge you. He can't let somebody else be ugly and let you be ugly and take you to heaven and leave them here. If he's going to take you to heaven, you're going to have to be perfect like restored. And the work he's going to do in you is a perfecting work. And this is what we call purging. That's why he gives us the word. The word is what locates us, puts us in our spot. We begin to see our problems and all of these kind of things. He wants us to be made pure. He wants you to be clean. Clean. Anytime those old ways pop up, he wants you to crucify your flesh with its affections and its lust. To turn your head and quit looking, quit saying, shut your mouth, guard your mouth. He wants you to start evidencing the fact that God is Lord, controller, in your life because the Word says so. It's what God holds us to in his Word. This is what we're supposed to do. Look in Second Corinthians, chapter seven. Second Corinthians, chapter seven, and verse one. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let God cleanse you. No, what does he say? Let us do what. Let me ask you a question. Time out. Is this? Second Corinthians 7 1 speaking to ain'ts or saints. Are you sure? So the message in Second Corinthians 7 1 is addressed to Christians, not the world, but to Christians. So a message to Christians is having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. And you go back in chapter six and you read about how God said he will dwell in you and you're to come out from among them and be separate and make the big decision about letting go of all the corruptive influences in your past. That's a tough one, but you got to do it. Now, having, therefore, these promises delivered of it, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Is there such a thing as a newborn Christian having Filthiness of spirit? Do Christians ever need deliverance? Well, think about that. That's not our message, but think about it. Having, therefore, these promises. Having, therefore, light from the word, a pure word without any mixture. Having, therefore, a clean and pure word to guide me that never compromises me doesn't give me the freedom to make excuses. All I can see is what it says. I can't argue with it because it's always right. Let us do this then, in light of that. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of our flesh, actions, attitudes, thoughts, motivations, intentions, Ugly and vile things that nobody can see but God. Let us cleanse ourselves from all of that stuff. Listen to what he goes on to say. Filthiness of flesh and spirit. And what's he ended by saying? Perfecting what? Perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Oh, what that's one of the best sermons in the Bible, the fear of God, because that's what motivates us it's the fear of god perfecting holiness purity holy and pure are words is meaning the same type of things a holy life is a pure life a holy something is a pure something the level of life that god wants you to live as the word exposes it is a pure perfect and holy life And when you begin to say that can't be, that's not possible. When you do that, the word to you is no longer pure because you have added to it your opinion. Do you hear me? When you start adding your ideas to the word and thus drawing back from it, you have corrupted the word. Or as Peter said, you are resting scriptures to your own destruction, because there will be a way in life that seems to be right. But in the end, it's not right. It sounds good. It looks good. Everybody's smiling, loves it, and part of it, and following it. But in the end, it's not right. And I'll tell you something. This goes along with next week. When you start pointing out to people wrongs and errors in their life, and they don't want to change, you tell them that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for today. It includes speaking in other tongues. Don't say that word. Tongues. And people get irritated by it. You know why they are irritated? Because the word to them is impure. It no longer includes that. Because somebody else has probably talked them out of it. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you not only won't go in yourself. But you don't let others go in who want to go in. You have twisted, distorted, altered the word. Jesus said you in Matthew 15, he said, you by your traditions have made the word of God of no effect. And look at the age that we're in. Who wants to make it black and white today? Who wants to say it cannot be any other way than this way? to hear that, and yet who wants to stand against God and say, I don't like the way you said it, and so this is the way I think we ought to say it and to be heard of it down here. I think this my way is better than yours. At that point, the Word is no longer clean and pure, and it will not do what God said it would do, because the only thing that God will perform is His Word. Not your version of it, but His Word. That's the effect of an impure word for next week. We'll save that. We'll try to. A third thing this morning that is the effect of a pure word is that it enables us to cleanse our way. Wherewithal, the psalmist said, shall a young man cleanse his way? The way we've lived, my testimony, my activities, what I'm known by before I came to the Lord, the way I lived which most people will never believe could ever be any way but that way with you. Psalmist said, 119, verse 9, he said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, he said, by taking heed thereto unto thy word. Let me ask you a question. And this is not just for young men. It could be for older men or women or girls. In what way do we cleanse our way? I know how we get purrs of stuff on the inside of us, but, I mean, the way we've lived, the way we're going, how do we cleanse our way? All right, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How many of you are young men in here? we got Three. How shall we cleanse our ways in the eyes of God? By giving heed or taking heed unto what? Now, if the word is not pure, what happens? Think of it. If the word is tainted, slanted, or not pure, watered down, or compromised, or shallowed out, so that we will like it better, man's way, than God, what happens? Nothing. We just become religious, and we like the style. And we like to, oh, has a hard sermon. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, but, oh boy, he preaches the word, but nothing happens. The system continues on with these people and their children and their children and their children, and they get a name of a system, and they just live the system. Nothing changes. There's no growth. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, the Bible says, by taking heed unto thy word. Heed is not just listening. Heed is assimilating it, gathering it in. It's putting it into your heart and holding fast to it. One translator says to keep according to thy word. Another translation says by observing what is according to thy word. It's what we do. It's like I cleanse myself, I also take heed. God is letting me do that. He's showing me what to take heed to. Showing me how I can cleanse my way and how all of these good things can happen. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? The great illuminator, he shall guide us into what? All truth. When the Bible said this is the way walk in it you cannot unless point 1 takes place your eyes are open to see it and there's a desire in your heart to do it and then you make that decision to do it nobody can do it for you you can't depend on those in your family who have done it to count for you you have to do it yourself we are each one accountable unto God, every one of us. I will not answer for your sins. You will not answer for mine. The sins you committed, you will answer for. And they will remain with you in judgment against you as long as you remain in your sins. If God chooses to save you and bring you out of that, he does. The effect of that sin is still in your mind. That's why your thinking has to be renewed. You're weak, you're vulnerable, you goofed up, you messed up. Who didn't? But I don't have to surrender to that mindset. Because when Jesus saves us, begins to open our eyes, and the Word of God becomes a treasure to me, i found a new way of living. i found a new life divine. I've got the fruit of the Spirit. I'm abiding in the vine. I'm walking in newness of life. I think the Bible says that, that we're to walk in newness of life. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Now you're clean through the word that I've spoken to you. You can do this. Let me tell you all something here this morning. You out there in victory land. It's the electronic world. You can do this. What I'm talking about this morning is yours. You can do this. You can absolutely do this. You can put your hand on the plow. You can walk with Jesus. You can have sweet fellowship with God. You can go to a secret place and abide there and have all the benefits of salvation, including a long life. You can have it. Because you have been brought out of darkness, you belong to God. And these things are the things that God gives you. They're revealed in His Word. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. You be a stickler for the Word at the expense of being legalistic. I'd rather be legalistic in a mansion in glory than to be a liberal in some hut down here on this earth. Or worse, far worse than that. Fourthly, the word of God enables you to grow. That was the first thing we mentioned. The Word of God enables you to grow. If you don't grow, it's because you don't know. because he that knoweth groweth. Look at second Peter chapter 1 verses five through eight. And besides this, that is having the divine nature, escaping the corruption in the world, and so forth. And not only do you have that, but beside that, this is the way you live. You have that, do this. Are you with me? You have, verse 2 and 3, do verse 5, 6, and 7. This is what it says. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, excellence, Let's call it moral purity, and to virtue add knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, long-suffering, and to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. Is that growth? This is the way we live. We recognize and then we do. We recognize and then we do. We learn, we incorporate. We learn, we incorporate. God shows us something, we make application. He teaches us something. It should have a story to it, something that we can make application of with our life. He says we do. He says we do. He says and we do. And this is what growth is all about. If we don't grow, it's usually because we don't know. How can you grow up into Christ if you don't know him? How can you grow into the Christian Life, if you don't know what the Christian life specifically is, how do you find out what the Christian life specifically is? Do you not in this Word find it? Is not the Word the revelation of God to man? Is it not the only book there has ever been that God watches over to perform? That if anybody speaks not according to that Word, they have no light? And if the word they're hearing is not the word specifically as God gave, how can they grow? They can become better these, 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 or these, but not necessarily better Christians. Better not meaning better than other people, but better than you were. Learned. And not learn it in the sense that you become proud and you boast. In fact, I have learned, I think I've learned, I pray that I've learned, that the more you learn, the more humble you get because you realize you learned nothing. It was given to you. And the more he gives you, the more you recognize how little and insignificant you are and how great and marvelous he is. No wonder men in the Bible who gained the favor of God, when they saw him, they bowed their head before him. God, depart from me, a sinful man. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. When John saw Jesus in his glory, all he could do was fall on his face. Something about God that we haven't gotten there yet. There's something about the effect that it has on us, not only to to love it, appreciate it, and to respect it and fear it, but also to grow up into it to gain the favor of it. Something like that. To grow up into the Lord and to be the kind of man that God wants us to be. That's possible. We can do this. As we behold as in a mirror, remember this verse? As we behold as in a mirror, the reflector, the glory of the Lord, the Bible says we are being changed into the same image. Is that possible even as by the spirit of the Lord? Is it possible that God's spirit can change me into the image of himself as he projects it to me, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ to be like Jesus to be like? Is that possible? I don't know how many people even think like that. I can't be God. I can't be Christ. But he didn't say I was going to be. He said that I can change so much that I am like him. This is another message. Don't let me confuse it. But I become like him because I die. He must increase only as I decrease. As the vine gives power to the branches, the only function the branches have is the reproduction of what's in the root. It is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. That's what it is. It's a growth. It's a changeover from an old way to a new way. It's gradual. You can't see it all of a sudden. You don't walk in the meeting one day and walk out with a halo over your head and some kind of a, a new gate where books say, oh, he got holy today. It's a gradual process. You begin to notice it. You begin to see it. You begin to talk about it. You mention it to each other. Have you noticed that she or he has really, well, they're really into it. They've really seemed to gather a lot of, whatever, out of this. But isn't that the way it's supposed to be? As we grow, as we taste again, taste and see that the Lord is good, we begin to grow. Are we not supposed to grow? One more time, look in Colossians 1 and verse 5 and 6. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven... Shelbyville Christian Assembly and all of its members, and all of you out there in Wonder World, all right. For the hope, the expectation which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel—that's a pure word—which is come unto you, this word, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. What brings forth pure fruit? A pure word. What is the reproduction of Christ in you? The yielding yourself to the word. Somebody accused me a long, long time ago, before I ever came here. I said, well, you worship the word. Well, if you mean the logos... The living word, I do. But if you say I worship the word as a means in itself, that's not exactly true. But I do worship the power that is in the word because the word is God. John 1. The word is God, He is a living word. To love Jesus is to love the word. To love the Word is to love Jesus. He's the living Word. All Scripture came by revelation through Jesus Christ. And God forbid that we ever taint it, mess with it, change it, or compromise it to make ourselves look better, to take the pain out of a hammer or a sword on important members and thus mislead them and bring them back to guile and deceit, because that's what an impure word is. God help us. And finally this morning, another thing the word does, it is the enabler, the cause of our faith. We could not have faith if it were not for this word. I am sure I can say this that the faith a lot of people have is not word-based faith. It is a word as man has given it. Man has taken the truth out of the word in that he has compromised the truth, watered it down or altered it. And the people who like the altered version better than the true version are trying to make the altered version work and it won't I pray I do this I do that I do I do all of these things church members are forever saying this they lament the fact that they spend all of this time doing so much that's religious in nature and yet nothing comes of it nothing comes of it except changed theology they begin to say, well, I know the Word says that, but I know that probably is not what that means because we have done that and it didn't work. Faith comes by hearing. Biblical faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If the Bible says by the stripes of Jesus you were healed, no matter who is not healed, No matter who is not getting healed, you are still healed by the stripes of Jesus as the Word says it. If God said He will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory, but you don't know anybody who's getting any needs supplied, it still means that He supplies needs. The problem is not with God. The problem is with man. People complain and whine about not getting this or not having that and I don't know, yeah, yeah. The problem in your life is not with God rejecting you or denying you. The problem is the opposite. You are rejecting or denying him. And you may not know it because the word you may be counting on is not the word of God, but the word of some famous man or some parent. Well, God doesn't do that today. Why not? He said he would. Well, times have changed. Right away, you know that's error. Right away, that's error. Time has no effect on the Word of God. No generation will ever change what this book says. There is no class of man, no shrewd, clever, educated, whodunit anywhere that can ever change this Word. This Word is forever settled in heaven. It will never pass away. That means it will never be altered. And when God spoke it before there was a world, When God spoke His Word, He spoke it so perfectly that it has never needed any help. Never. And what God said to the first generation on this earth that's recorded, whatever He recorded then for us, still true today. It's still true today. You put your hands on the plow and you keep them there, you will be in glory with Jesus. Because the Bible says you can believe that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, without the word, without a pure word, there is no such thing as pure faith. Without this unadulterated pure word, face value, hammer, fire, sword word, without that, we have no basis for faith. What seemeth right, what ought to be right, the way it ought to be, well, this is how I see it, is never a valid faith, a way for faith. The only thing that's worthy of faith is what the book says. And there is a concern in my life that some of the more modern translations are altering the original word. And you have to be careful. I quote some of them. I believe none of them. They may have it right in some verses of Scripture. There may be a more clear way to read than the King James Bible, and I'm not stuck on it, but I think it's for me at this time in my life, at this time in history, that's where I'm going. I think it's the one we go to. But that doesn't mean that we're going to debate over which one's right or wrong. All I'm saying is that my faith is going to be based on what is clear and plain in this word because without this word, I have no basis for faith. A pure word equals a pure faith, if you believe it, if you can receive it. Look at Proverbs 30, and we'll try to close. Proverbs 30. Go back to the middle of your Bible. Proverbs 30. And verse 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. Is that right? Can that be true? Let me start over. Every word of God has only God in it. It is not mixed with anything else. Every word of God... Is pure. Listen, only purity then can come from it. All right? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Verse 6 Add thou not unto His words, lest He rebuke thee or reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Uh oh. We've got a problem, Houston. Listen to it from God's side, and we'll close. If my faith is not word-based, then what's it based on? What is sensible? What is reasonable? How many people believe that God could, might, is able, but may not? I mean, you should try Somebody has told them that even though the word says he's the Lord that heals us, that they've added things to the word. Now, here's what happens. When you begin to add your comments or your ways to the word, you change what the word says, and God says to you, you are a, what's the end of that verse say? You are a what? A liar. Isn't that an ugly word? You're a liar. People fight over that. You're a liar. Who does God call a liar? He calls more than just this one here, but He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, 1 John 2. But what does he say here? He says, if any man take away from the words that God will reprove him, and he be found a liar. Can you imagine standing before God with all your religious dignity, and all your wealth of study, and all your note-taking, and all the good you thought you did your whole life? And stand before God in the end, and God says, you are a liar. A what? A liar, yeah. Because you took away from my words. You altered my word. You took away the sting and the sword away from the people. They never became what I wanted under your ministry. Mm. You let them off the hook. They loved you. They admired you. They thought you were the second coming of something good. But I reject them all. They're rejected silver, reprobate silver, Jeremiah said. Could that possibly be? So that when Paul said preach the word in season or out of season, like that centurion said in Matthew 8, preach the word only. Just say what it says. Just quote the Bible. Somebody wants to know about what am I going to do about this? Do you know a scripture? Quote the scripture to them. That's the only thing God will watch over to perform. It's not your, well, you know, I now he could and he but now don't you think I don't get off wait a minute, wait a minute. God isn't going to deceive somebody who wants to believe his word. Tell them what the word says. Quote the Bible to them. Hold fast to it. Faith is based on the Word. Do you think we've made it this far because we're clever? The most non-clever person in this whole room. If we took a test this morning, some way could find out. You know who would win the most non-clever award? I would. Don't want to be clever. I don't want you to be clever. I want you to be good in your business, and I want you to see the angles and make good decisions, and maybe in that way be clever. But as far as something that would take advantage of somebody else or misrepresent you to somebody else, God forbid it. May we learn to be dependent upon the Word, because when it's a pure Word, God will have a pure people. As he says, a pure speech and pure hearts. They will have access to the throne of God. They will come daily to the throne of God. And God will minister to them and meet their needs, and he'll bless them, and he'll keep them. Do you desire a pure word? Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we have assembled here today. We have come to hear the word of the Lord. We have come for the Holy Spirit, opened ourselves up for the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and give us a more clear word of direction to guide us. There is a great need before me this morning, Lord. There is a need greater than is known for the entrance of your word to take hold in people's lives. I do not stand this morning before perfect people, nor do they sit before a perfect man. But we come before you as people with whom you've given the possibility of becoming pure and holy people. And that's what we want. Grant us, O God, the courage this morning to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to not fear what happens, to not look back. And be condemned or look at tomorrow and be afraid, but to live now, today, in the light of your word. I give you thanks this morning that all these years we've assembled here, you have blessed us because we have kept this word before us. And I give you thanks for that. And may we never forget the power that is in this book. Now, I ask you to bless everyone that is here, those that are watching from somewhere else, that they might with their mouth and their heart say, I receive only the pure word of God in my heart, and that God will grant me discernment to know the difference. And for all of this, we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen.